James chapter 2, and this morning we're looking at verses 1 through verse 9. So James chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you, Father, for your word. The truth that it contains, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage... We do pray that your spirit would be active in our midst, going forth into our hearts and our minds, that we might hear and receive the truth of your holy word, that you would give us understanding, and that truly as your word goes forth, it would find within each of our hearts that rich and fertile soil that will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. Father, we pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, throughout his letter so far, James has been laying a foundation that's going to really enable him to address some significant issues that are plaguing the believers to whom he's writing. And we see this where he's introduced certain things in chapter 1, and then throughout the rest of the letter he's going to go and, and elaborate further on them. So he's setting the stage. And again, when he began his letter, he spoke first of, of course, of finding joy in the midst of persecution and temptations, reminding his readers that God is the sovereign Lord, the one who is able to use even those trials to make his people more Christ-like. And in the midst of briefly introducing some of these issues, James has charged that it's critical for the people of God, for faithful believers to to be faithful hearers, receivers, and doers of the Word. And as we considered last time, doing the Word requires love for God and the pursuit of holiness, as well as love for our neighbors, especially demonstrated in the ministry toward the least of these, toward the orphans, the widows, the poor, and the needy. Doing the Word is evidence of possessing that true religion. But sometimes, even though we believe we're doing what God wants us to do, 
well, we may not be doing it in the right way or with the right attitude or the right motives. In fact, sometimes our doing can actually totally contradict what God would have us to do, even though it seems like we're doing what He wants us to do. Well, this seems to be the issue that James is addressing in our in our passage this morning. Certainly, the Lord wants us to be good neighbors and to treat people with, with kindness, honor, and respect. And certainly, when we have visitors who come through the doors of our home and even who come into our congregation here, we should be hospitable and, and seek to make them feel welcome and even loved. But when we do this, with an unequal standard, and we treat some better than others, simply based on how they look, or what they're wearing, or how they're speaking, or what they have, or what they may or may not know, well then we're not truly doing what God has called us to do. Showing partiality, or or showing favoritism, is foolishness. It's foolishness that mocks God, it humiliates others, and as James demonstrates here, it even endangers our souls. In other words, it's not rightly doing the Word and living out our faith in the way that God desires of us. And so James begins by stating this directly. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory, with partiality. You see, there's a certain way that we're to hold our faith, a way in, a certain way in which we're to live out our faith and to live our lives and to do it. It ought to be done in such a way that reflects the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. In other words, we should hold our faith and we should live it out in our lives in the same manner that Christ Himself lived His life with truth, justice, and equality and not with an attitude of partiality. Now partiality here is literally, it means accept a face. And it has the sense of making judgments based solely on external appearances, or as we might say, in a literal sense, just simply at face value. Now, making a judgment based on simple observation alone isn't necessarily a problem, right? We do this type of thing all the time. And we, we for example, are, are out in, uh, in the community and we... Um, we look at someone who's dressed in a, in a police uniform and we can make a relatively safe assumption that if we find ourselves in trouble that this person will come and help us. Now, of course, on rare occasions, such judgments may be wrong. But you see, that's part of the risk of taking things at face value alone. Well, the problem that James is addressing here is that when we look at someone's appearance, and then we make judgment about their character, their value, and their worth, and then treat them accordingly, even though we could be completely wrong about the type of person they are. Well, James here addresses this problem from somewhat of a positive angle. He, He focuses on those who make a judgment about someone's appearance but that it then leads them to treat that person more honorably 
than they treat others. Friends, that is partiality. But when we show partiality or favoritism to one person or group over against others, well then it also means then that we're then discriminating against others. And when we discriminate, we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so we see here then that partiality and and discrimination are really two sides of the same coin. Both use appearance to determine value and worth instead of seeing value and worth in all people and treating all people equally. And so when someone makes a judgment that a particular person or group of persons is inferior or of less value and importance because their skin is a different color or because of their ethnic background or even just because of the way they're dressed and the way they they appear. Well, then that's discrimination. And when they give then also, but if they were to give privilege and honor to another person, to another group of of people because of the color of skin or because of all these other things, well then that's partiality and, and favoritism. You see, they both involve prejudice. That is, they prejudge someone based solely on their appearance. And again, they often go hand in hand. And here, James is essentially condemning both. Now again, we see all sorts of discrimination and and favoritism going on in the world all around us. In fact, we kind of expect it. We expect it because we do live in a fallen and sinful world. We know that sinful people are going to make sinful judgments about others and they're going to treat them sinfully because of it. Or based on those same judgments, will simply give preference to others over against all the rest. But James focuses on this issue, not just because it's a problem out there in the world, but as we've seen before, in chapter throughout chapter one, it's also a problem in here in the church and in the body of believers to whom he's writing. And so again, as he's done before, James may be echoing the, the moral law, which, which his audience would have been very familiar with, right? Coming from kind of that Jewish background, they would have been familiar with God's law, and so they would have been familiar with Leviticus 19, verse 15, which says this, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And what James is saying here, if you judge and don't treat your neighbor fairly and equally and instead show partiality or discriminate, well then you're holding your faith contrary to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James illustrates an example of this problem of partiality and discrimination in the body of Christ. And, and though he states it as a hypothetical situation, well, given his comments that follow, it seems that to illustrate that this is precisely what was going on in the congregation of the people that, to whom he's writing. We see this in, in verses 2 and 3. And so here's the, the picture. Right? The people are gathered together in their assembly, perhaps getting ready for, for worship, and a man comes walking in, who's, he's all decked out in gold and fine clothes, and the obvious judgment is that this person is rich. And so the greeter uh, greets him at the door, 
And he meets uh, this well-dressed visitor and he greets him and he's thinking, wow, I better be nice to this guy. Because we could use somebody like him in the church. And I mean, if we treat him nice, perhaps he'll stay and stick around. And so seeing that this man was obviously wealthy, he treated him with great favor. But then he gets that man seated and puts him in a prominent place. But then someone else comes in the building. Well, this man looks like he just crawled out of the gutter. His clothes are all dirty and filled with holes. His, his face and his hair are unkempt. And he looks like he has a few teeth missing. And he probably doesn't smell very good either. So the greeter looks him over and he thinks to himself, Oh, you've got to be kidding. Why of all days does this guy have to show up today when we have this rich guy visiting? What am I going to do with him? I'd like to just put him right back out the door, but I don't want to cause a scene. And so he says to the man, Here, why don't you go stand over there in the corner, stand in the back. Or better yet, here, have a, there's, a, there's some room on the floor by my feet. Sit there. And then perhaps thinking to himself, well, that way I can keep an eye on him. So clearly this poor man was judged solely on his appearance. He wasn't favored as the rich man was. He was truly discriminated against. Now, we might think that, that surely in today's world, right, that was back then and people were crueler. We think that nothing would happen like this would happen, especially not in the church. But indeed, based on the inherent sinfulness of our hearts, I'm certain it does. In fact, I know it does, and I've, I've seen it done, and I've heard those who have uh, experienced it. That some are given preferential treatment based on their appearance, and others are mistreated because of judgments made about them because of their appearance. There's no fair treatment, no equality, no justice, and no love. My friends, what would, what would you do as individuals? Or what would we do as, as a congregation? Right? How would we respond to someone who walked in here that, that looked, acted, and talked very different than us? Would we respond to them differently than we would to someone who kind of looked more like us or perhaps even better, right? He was even more attractive and, and appeared to be rich. Would we treat them better than someone else who just walked in off the street? I would like to think that we would respond the same way to each one. Welcoming them, being kind and friendly to them, and not preferring one over the other. I suppose we won't really know unless we're actually put to the test. And perhaps there may have been a time when we were put to the test and we didn't realize it. It's, it's just hard to know. But there's one thing that we do know. If we simply treated everyone the same, if we treated everyone as neighbors whom we ought to love as ourselves, well then we wouldn't have anything to worry about. You see, James uses this as an illustration 
albeit one that likely had some basis in reality, but we know from the rest of the New Testament and on through history since this time, showing partiality and, and being discriminatory would always be an issue. Right? And so what starts out here as a, as a divide between the rich and the poor later grows to include discrimination based on one's ethnic background, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile. In fact, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is written by, in part to address that very issue. And the emphasis is, is on bringing about unity between these two groups uh, who are ethnically different, the Jews and the Gentiles, to bring them together as one man in the church. Of course, there were class divisions. Rich, poor, slave, and free. The powerful and the powerless. There would be divisions based on race and skin color, even to the point where it's often noted that today, or it's noted today, that Sunday is the most racially segregated day of the week. Now, not all of it, but certainly some of it is likely due to partiality and discrimination from all sides. Beloved of God, this ought not to be so in the body of Christ. In fact, as James goes on to demonstrate, such partiality and discrimination is, is true foolishness. First, it's foolish because those who show partiality and discriminate reveal themselves to be unjust judges. In verse 4, after this, uh, his illustration, James hits the point home. He says, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? They become unjust judges. And the evil thoughts and intentions of their hearts have been revealed. Now what would be those evil intentions? Well, showing partiality to a rich person might be done out of pride and selfishness or even greed. And a, a person might think, hey, if I'm, if I'm extra nice to this person, well, they might reward me. They might share with me some of their wealth that they obviously have. And so I could personally benefit materially just by being nice. Now that's certainly not a good motive. In fact, it isn't even rooted in love for the rich neighbor, but it's purely rooted in the love of self, which we're to cast off. And what's worse is that this has come at the expense of the poor neighbor. right? Because there's no need then to treat the poor neighbor well because they have nothing that they can give to you in return. And so you discriminate against them. You've made judgments in your heart based on evil thoughts and motives. This is what James is saying here. But note also, he says, when you do this, you show partiality among yourselves. That is, what you're doing is you're separating the un- what's to be the, the, the unity of the one body of Christ. You're separating the congregation into an us versus them, to a, the rich versus poor, the has versus the has nots, the whites versus the blacks, the Jews versus the Gentiles, or any other division that you might want to think of. You're drawing these lines of distinction. Yet these violate the glorious unity that's to be present in the body of Christ. Jesus prayed in His high priestly prayer in John 17, I pray that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
the unity of the body of Christ. It's to be a witness to the world of the unity between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. And that unity, that witness is distorted if there are distinctions of partiality and discrimination in our midst. And further, the Apostle Paul declares in Galatians 3, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Christ sees us as one. Because He looks at the heart. And the heart has been redeemed. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. And so we're to be one in Christ. And so when we become unjust judges and show partiality in the body, we take away from that unity, and that's pure foolishness. A second reason such partiality is foolishness is because it goes against the very character of God. Right, focusing primarily on the partiality toward the rich and the discrimination against the poor, James speaks sternly and yet, yet very lovingly. He says, listen, my beloved brethren. He loves these people. But they're messing up. Listen, beloved. Has God not, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? This reveals God's gracious, merciful, and compassionate character. Throughout Scripture, God reveals Himself as the champion of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the downcast, the outcast, the oppressed, and the humble. His care and His watchful eyes upon them, for God shows no partiality. Deuteronomy 10, we read this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Now we may wonder, reading this, well, if God has His watchful eye on the poor and the needy, well, doesn't that seem like He's being partial to them? Well, no. No, not when we remember that all people, all people, whether they're rich or poor, all people are sinners who deserve nothing but the just wrath and curse of God. And if God was partial, if He were to merely look upon our appearance and make a judgment about our character, well, guess what? No one would receive mercy and no one would receive compassion because no one would have the quality of character that was deserving of favor. But because God is gracious and full of compassion, He bestows His favor upon the undeserving, both poor and rich. Again, because God doesn't just save poor people, He also redeems those who are rich. And just as there are many poor people who reject Christ and who reject the gospel, well, there are those who are rich who truly and sincerely receive Him in faith and who believe the gospel. And so God shows no partiality, but chooses whom He wills and bestows mercy and compassion on whom He desires. And we're called to reflect 
this character of God. We're called to be merciful and compassionate. We're called to be fair and just showing no partiality and showing no discrimination. For when we show partiality, we assault God's character and show ourselves to be fools. Now, thirdly, and closely related, we see that partiality is foolish because it's against God's actions. Right? God isn't only gracious and compassionate, showing no partiality in His character, but He acts accordingly as well. Right? This is what James says here. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? Now here James is likely re- uh, referencing uh, two, two things, two passages. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. First, God's sovereign, unconditional, impartial choice of Israel to be His people in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7, Moses says, The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And again, the Jewish believers that James is, was writing to here would remember how God acted to save their forefathers. But you also find here in James' words the echo of Jesus' words from the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now note here that Jesus says the poor in spirit as opposed to simply the poor, although in Luke's account for the purpose of the spirit that the Lord gave Luke, Luke just has the poor. Well, is there a difference? Well, not necessarily. You see, because those who are materially poor tend to also be those who are oppressed and who are disenfranchised and thus who are more humble and acknowledge their need and, uh, and their dependence upon someone else. Whereas the rich, they feel like they have enough and they don't need to any help. They don't need to depend on anyone, not even God. And so they're, they're, the poor are blessed because God deals kindly and compassionately with them. And so God is mindful of the poor. Now, again, not exclusively, but He takes note of their suffering and humiliation because He's also a God of justice. Right? And, but he also graciously acts compassionately toward the poor and the needy. And he even causes people to act toward them in the very same way. And when his people show partiality toward the rich and discriminate against the poor, they make a mockery of the one who chose and called them when they were in spiritual poverty. Proverbs 17.5 says, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. Certainly it's foolish to bring reproach upon and mock your Maker and Redeemer. Well, a fourth reason that such partiality is foolish is that it often means you favor the wicked over those who may be true brothers in Christ. James brings this out in the most powerful way, showing clearly how foolish they've been by showing partiality to the rich. In verses 6 and 7, he says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? 
And so James reminds them who oppresses them. Who are the ones who are dragging you into court when you can't pay your bills and your debts? And who are those who actually blaspheme and mock and despise the name which you have been called? That is the name of Christ. Well, it's often been the rich and the powerful and the mighty. And yet here they are, coddling them, fawning all over them, and going out of the way to honor them with the vain thought that suddenly these rich oppressors are somehow going to have a change of heart to bestow upon them gifts and will share their wealth with them. Well, that's just foolish. Now again, we have to keep this in context. James is certainly not implying that that they should then treat the rich harshly. harshly. He isn't advocating for a, for a, a Marxist class re- revolt of the poor against the rich. No, the problem is actually not that they're treating the rich well. In fact, they ought to do so. But the real problem is that they're doing so at the expense of dishonoring or humiliating the poor. The ones who are quite possibly their fellow believers in Christ. Those for whom Christ died. And James' point is that no distinction should be made between the two as far as how you treat them. For the one who charged love your brother and love your neighbor as yourself also charged in Luke 6, but love your enemies. Do good and and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. And so believers in Christ are called to treat all people with respect, honor, dignity, and even love, so that we might show forth the love of God to them. But when we show partiality, favoritism, and discrimination, we show forth nothing but foolishness. And so yes, we, someone rich comes in, we, even if they're oppressing us, we treat them kindly. And we show love to them. I mean, it's foolish to do so in order to try to get something from them. But it's not foolish to do so in order to demonstrate to them the love of Christ. But the poor guy that comes in after him, we need to treat with the same respect and honor. And that's what, what James is getting at here. Now, verses 8 and 9 are actually transition verses as James begins to to shift from this specific issue to to really what's kind of a broader application. And so, though we note them here briefly, we'll, we'll address them again, Lord willing, next time. But James gives a warning to those who would be so foolish as to show partiality and discriminate at all times and in all places, but especially in the body of Christ. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, if you're treating the rich well, out of pure motives and out of a desire to demonstrate your love for your neighbor and, your, and, and you, you want to be a witness to them, to the love of Christ, Well, you're doing well. Keep doing it as long as you treat everyone the same way. But if you're going to discriminate against people and show favoritism for personal gain, well, then you're in sin. 
and you will be held accountable as a transgressor of what James calls here the royal law, that is, the law of the king. And who is the king? And the king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And destruction and just punishment come upon those who disregard the laws of the king, who don't show their love for him by keeping his commands. Friends, there's an alternative to such judgment. Instead of showing partiality and favoritism and discriminating, we ought to strive to hold our faith rightly. That is with a right and proper attitude that better reflects our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Even putting on ourselves by the grace of God the very attitude that was in Christ Himself. An attitude of humility, grace, mercy, and compassion. Seeking to love God and our neighbor by being servants who faithfully minister to the poor and to the needy. To the orphan and to the widow. To the outcast and the foreigner. But... We also need to be careful that we don't favor the poor and discriminate then against the rich and the powerful and even those who may be the ones oppressing us. Because you see, though they're rich and powerful and they may be oppressing us and they may have uh, the, the rich things in this life, they're actually poor in faith. And are in desperate need of Christ and the gospel. Just as well as the person who's lying in the gutter with nothing. Even as we ourselves once were. Poor in faith. Poor in spirit. But what has Christ done for us? Now those who are poor in faith who are foolish, who are headed to for destruction as heirs. There we are now, heirs to a rich and glorious eternal kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord because of what He has done for us and because of the grace and the mercy and the compassion that He has poured out upon us, undeserving sinners that we are. Beloved of God, as, we cons- as you consider these things this morning, imitate Christ. Imitate Christ the Lord of glory and show no partiality and don't discriminate. But instead seek to display the gracious love of God to all. Not only as a witness to them. Not only as an encouragement and an affirmation of our own faith in Christ. But especially display that gracious love of God to all. To the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do praise You and thank You for Your Word and the challenge that it presents to us. And and Lord, we don't know, maybe in the past we have been tested in such a way. And maybe we've done well, maybe we've failed. But we just pray that You would help us to be alert, that we would strive to treat everyone equally to demonstrate that mercy and that compassion and that love which you have so richly poured out upon us and have given to us Lord we acknowledge that if that you certainly could have just left us to destruction because of our appearance 
being bound in sin and enslaved to sin. And yet by Your grace and Your mercy, You treated us with love and compassion. You showed no favoritism, but You gave us what we did not deserve and that You blessed us by faith in Jesus Christ. That we might have this true and glorious salvation and that we might even be challenged even now to live for Your glory in all things. Father, even as You have so richly and abundantly blessed us, May You challenge each of us to bless others in the same way, to be a great witness to them of Your glorious love and compassion, and of Your mercy and of Your desire to save the poor and needy, to even save the rich, and to save the powerful, so that truly, before that last great day, they might humble themselves before You and call upon You, Your name and faith. Otherwise, we know that on that last great day, they will be compelled to fall on their knees and to worship You and acknowledge You as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Father, it is better to do that now humbly in this life than than to be compelled by Your wrath on that day of judgment. Father, we pray that You would help us to be a faithful witness in these things. And that especially Your Spirit would impress these truths upon each of our own hearts, drawing us all closer to Yourself. And that through all these things, Your name would be lifted up and glorified. Even in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.